Amen to that. Well, there was this mother, and she was uh, kind of fit to be tied because she just couldn't break her five-year-old daughter of her thumb-sucking habit. And so she just tried everything. She tried bribery. She tried reasoning with her. She even tried putting, I guess, lime juice on her thumb, and nothing seemed to work. So finally she resorted to threats, which if you're a parent, you know all about that. And she said, Sarah... If you don't stop sucking your thumb, your stomach's going to blow up like a balloon. Well, later that afternoon, they were taking a walk in the park, and there was this pregnant woman sitting on the park bench. And little Sarah saw the pregnant woman, and she just stared, and she stared, and she stared. And finally, the, the pregnant woman said, honey, is there anything the matter? And Sarah said, no, but I know what you've been doing, and it's not good. Got to be careful what you say to your kids, right? Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Revelation. And uh, I really pray that you'll give what I'm going to speak this morning a real hearing because it's not going to be easy, but if you really listen to it and you think about it, it can be the most hopeful and encouraging message you've ever heard. But it'll initially sound tough, so I'm asking you to really bear with me and listen to this message this morning as I've entitled the message, It's Not Always Easy. It's Not Always Easy. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone here. I ask for your blessing to be upon them. You brought them here this morning. There's a reason they're here. You wanted them to hear this, Lord God. And so I just ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come in a powerful way and that you would just have your way in these moments. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's real life. Apostle John wrote in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, starting at verse 8. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. He's going to address the church at Smyrna. Skip, can you put up that graphic? Nope, there it is. There you see the seven churches of Revelation. And remember, there's a method to the madness. These seven churches were actual churches in the time of John, 90 AD or so. They are modern-day Turkey. Patmos is just off there, about 60 miles. That's where he was exiled, John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. And a ship would come into Ephesus that you would see, and then they would go around the horseshoe, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And this morning, we're going to look at the church at Smyrna, and I'll tell you... The church at Smyrna had a lot to smile about. You know why? Because Jesus only had commendation for him, commendation. And he says this. I want to read it to you, starting at verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews, and they are not. But they are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be at all hurt by the second death. 
You know, my guess is, is if the church at Smyrna resided in America today, the cry would be something like this. God, why are you allowing this into our lives? I thought you wanted us to be happy. Suffering and persecution doesn't make me happy. You know, the sad truth is, I think the average Christian in America, so many pastors and teachers and television evangelists would be, have to be forced to say, you know, what John wrote there certainly couldn't be a word from God. It just couldn't be a word from the Lord. You see, the thinking goes like this. And by the way, I've heard this numerous times from various people who say that they are Christians. And I've heard it from various television pastors and evangelists. They, their thinking goes like this. It says in Isaiah 53, 5, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. And so the thinking goes, Jesus on the cross took all of my suffering. He took all of my sickness and he took all of my poverty. Therefore, I as a Christian, if I have enough faith, I must reject these evil and I must declare... Victory over my circumstances, victory over my health, victory over my finances, victory over all everything that I am facing. And I just must claim the victorious life. And all around America, when people hear that message, they rise up and they applaud that kind of message. And I want you to know this morning how sad it will be for those false teachers who actually preach that on Judgment Day and and how sad it is for the people that actually embrace these half-truths. Jesus, listen to what he said now to the Smyrnian believers in verse 10. Do not, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I'm going to give you the crown of life. Jesus tells these Smyrnian believers that they are going to suffer, that they are going to be persecuted, that they are even going to experience death for a limited period of time. And on top of this, listen to what Jesus says in verse 9 to them. He says, I see, I know your poverty. I know your poverty. I know that you are poor. Now, I find it amazing. Please note that Jesus didn't say, what's the matter with you Smyrnians? What's the matter with your faith? Why don't you just claim that you're rich? Just deposit a $50 seed and I will bless it and multiply it a hundredfold. Jesus though doesn't say that. Jesus just says, I see your poverty. I know that you are poor. And you know why Jesus could say, I know that you are poor? Because he was poor. Jesus knew poverty. And you know, the greatest leaders, the best leaders that are never asked you to do something that they're not willing to do. And Jesus says, I know what it's like to experience poverty. I did it. But I want you to know that my grace will be sufficient for you. My power will be made perfect in your weakness. You know, The Christianity that the Smyrnian believers were experiencing is a Christianity that we in America really do not know. But I want you to know it. They do know it in China. They know it in India. They know it in the Middle East. They know it in Russia. They know it in Africa. You see, Jesus never offered the believers in Smyrna. He never 
offered many of the believers around the world today an insipid form of painless Christianity. You know, faith does not mean that you just walk through life from prosperity to prosperity. I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? You know what really faith means? You know what genuine faith is? Genuine faith means that you've gone through the battle and you stayed faithful to Jesus Christ. You know, let's be honest. You know when the circumstances are good. You know when everything's just going your way. It's so easy to say, praise God, he's awesome. But how about when the chips are down? Will you really praise God? Will I really praise God? You know, you know what the book of Job is about? The book of Job is a great book because you know what Satan did? Satan, he went for God's jugular. He said, you know what, God? No one. There is not a human being on planet Earth who would really love you if you didn't bless them. They love you for your hand and not your face. They don't really love you. And you know what God said? Look at my man, Job. Look at my man, Job. There's a man who just loves me. May I suggest to you that the greatest glory that you will ever give God that I can ever give God is when the chips are down, things aren't going my way, circumstances are right, and I remain faithful to him, and I still love him. You know, in the book of Hebrews, it's a great book. Hebrews chapter 11, that was one of my favorites. You know what it's called? The Hall of Fame of Faith. And in there are the people who demonstrated real faith. And you know what real faith is again? These are battle-tested veterans. These aren't people who had an easy life in Hebrews 11. You see people, uh, I'll tell you, who went through the trials and the tribulation, and they remained faithful to Jesus. I challenge you to read it. I read Hebrews 11 at least once a month. I just want to read part of it to you. Listen to this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Japheth or David, or Samuel and the prophets, who walked through conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And I love this part. And the world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended. Now watch this for their faith. Yet none of them received what they had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together would they be made perfect. Now how many here want to sign up and follow Jesus? We should, though. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that America is under judgment. And I am absolutely convinced that I am right. And I know I go against the tide 
I know I go against the whitewashers that will tell you everything is fine. We'll see if what I say is true. So I stand out here and I put myself out here. But I gave you the reasons why America was under judgment. Judgment, you know, that a culture, that an empire, that a nation is under or or, or being judged. When it says in Romans chapter 1 that God turns them over. And we saw how God had turned us over as a culture and a nation to our lusts and our perversions and to our passions. And the end result is an empire just implodes morally and then can be defeated from without. And I am convinced, as I said, and if you did not get the message several weeks ago, please get that. It's entitled, It Has Started, that this is going to happen within the next year. I believe that you are going to see great economic judgment coming on upon America in 2015, I say the end result is we're going to see suffering. Suffering like we've never experienced before. We are going to be tried. We are going to be tested. Some of us may even be persecuted. But please note, please note the counsel that Jesus would give us. Here's the counsel that Jesus gave to the Smyrnians again in, 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 in verse 10. Skip, can you put that up on the screen? It's actually surprising counsel to people who are suffering and under persecution. He says this, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Look at that. He's, he says you're going to be tested and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. But he says, I want you to be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, Jesus tells these Smyrnian believers, here's what he says. He says, don't be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid. Do not be afraid. You are going to suffer. You are going to experience persecution. Some of you are even going to die. But he says, I want you to be faithful to me. This is your chance to glorify me. I want you to be faithful, and I want you to be faithful. And you say, well, I'm afraid. I'm not sure I can do it. Well, of course you're afraid. You wouldn't be human. I have fear about this. You know, sometimes I've actually, Lord, I, I try to drum up the faith. I imagine, you know, that, that, that I'm, my, you know, my testimony is on the line. And could I do it or, or, or will I cower? And you know what the testimony throughout history is? It's God's grace is sufficient. He's only going to give you the grace when you need it, not when you don't need it. And God's grace will be there for you. That's what we're doing. As you strengthen your faith, you're going to find out, if you've been walking with Jesus, you're going to find out when you need to tap into that power, it's going to be there. In fact, there's a great story coming out of history. You know, when the Apostle John wrote this letter to the Smyrnian believers, a man by the name of Polycarp was the pastor. He was the head elder. And interestingly enough, Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. And one day we are told that Polycarp was arrested by the Roman authorities. And then he was marched to the amphitheater in Smyrna. And there a manacle mob was waiting for him. And they were waiting for him to die. They wanted to see a horrible, bloody death. And there you see Polycarp, and he found himself, and he was standing before the Roman proconsul. And the proconsul said to Polycarp, I'm demanding that you deny your faith in Jesus Christ. And Polycarp said this to him. He said, 86 years have I served him, and he never did me any harm. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And it was told that the proconsul responded by saying, I'll have you destroyed by fire. 
unless you change your attitude. And the crowd roared. And Polycarp cried out to the proconsul, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and after a little is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fires of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring on, Polycarp says, what you will. And the crowd gathered wood and they threw torches on the pyre. And they cheered as the flames began to curl around Polycarp's body. And it is said, as Polycarp sat there, burning in the flames, he prayed this prayer. I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour, that I may be part of the number of martyrs that die for Jesus Christ. May Polycarp's tribe increase. May I be a Polycarp. May you be a Polycarp. But may you be encouraged by Polycarp. Polycarp shows us that God's grace is sufficient. Even though we may go through tremendous suffering, even though we may go through trials and we may be tested, you can count on the fact that supernatural power will surge through and it'll be your finest hour. It'll be your finest hour to bring him glory. So even now when you are tested, maybe in your neighborhood or your places of work, for the name of Jesus, stand tall. I'm saying stand tall. And then you begin to experience the miracle. You want to know the power of God. You want to know the presence. It's when we start making a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, not too long ago, there was a pastor in Nicaragua. And he was preaching on the subject of persecution. And he said this, it's the strangest thing. But where the war has been the bloodiest, where the needs are the most desperate, This is where the church has grown the most. Yes, brethren, become martyrs. Yet remember that the heavier the cross, the more powerful the resurrection. I want to ask you something important. Really important. And I'm going to put it in the form of a question. Could it be that our lives here in America just don't challenge unbelievers enough? Could it be that our lives here in America simply do not challenge the unbelievers around us enough? One well-known preacher not too long ago said this. We are respectable. We're even conventional. We are inoffensive and we are ineffective. We like soft music, soft lights, and we love soft sermons, which together produce soft Christians. He said then, it is time. It is time. It is time for Jesus's church, the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and proclaim the exclusive gospel of Jesus of self-denial without reservation or fear of consequence. And I say that he's right, and I say that we're going to have that opportunity. I believe with every fiber of my being that we're going to have that opportunity to do that. Now let me challenge this before we move to communion. The challenge is found in verse 9, Revelation chapter 2. Jesus said, I know your affliction. I know your poverty. I'm not unaware of it, and I'm not even sympathetic. I am sympathetic to it. But he says, yet you are rich. You are rich. Jesus tells us this morning, you can be a rich poor man as well as a poor rich man. You ever thought about that? Now, I can't speak for you. But I would rather have the world against me 
I would rather have this world against me than Jesus Christ opposing me. The world's going to tell you, you are a loser. You are a fool. You are a fool for following Jesus Christ. Why waste your life on him? And Jesus tells you this morning, you're a winner. You're a winner and you are rich. And you will, you will receive the crown of glory. Skip, can you play the video?